0: If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn now to Psalm 16. As we come now, um, well, we'll, you can see our theme today. We we are recognizing this is the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Um, Sometimes we would do this after Thanksgiving, um, but it turns out next week is actually the first Sunday of Advent, and we'll be moving into our Advent series um, beginning next Sunday. So this Sunday, you know, we're looking at Thanksgiving. um, I I can only imagine it's going to be different, right? You know, there aren't going to be as many people around the table. Some of you are going to need some blankets for those outdoor gatherings, right? And hopefully the weather will be good. Um, it's, It's strange. It is so strange. And I think all of us just can't wait for this to be done, to be over with. And and we can get back to a more normal uh, way of life and of fellowship and of being together. Um, well, with Thanksgiving in mind, um, I, I've chosen Psalm 16 because I, I just find it an encouragement. Um, you know, I, even as I feel the weariness of, of, of COVID, of just everything that's you know, uh, been happening around us, um, this is a, a nice psalm. Um, I think that's, it's renewing um, because it's a, a psalm that is written, is penned by, well, not penned, but it's written by David. And it is a psalm that just gives us not only in terms of the content, it directs our focus away from ourselves. It, it directs our focus onto the Lord and on his goodness and on his provision. Um, But it also provides us with this, I think, a very encouraging example of a person, uh, in this case, David, who is just, his heart is full of joy. And and it just comes out in thanksgiving and gratitude and, and worship towards the Lord. And I hope that the spirit of this psalm you know, by God's grace um, flows into our hearts and into our uh, lives as we now approach um, this annual uh, feast of thanksgiving. Would you bow, first of all, would you stand for the reading of God's word? This is Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God. In you I take refuge My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Would you bow your heads with me? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Indeed, Lord, you make us to lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside the still waters. You make, Lord, may your spirit restore our souls and guide us into the paths of righteousness for the sake of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. You may be seated. This is a psalm of... of of confidence in the Lord, it's a psalm that just um, it, it overflows with the results, with uh, the um, the consequences of placing our trust in the Lord, and it's a reminder of our need to see this connection between a, a faithful, pure trusting in God and this this life of thanksgiving, this life of joy and and worship uh, that corresponds, that results um, as we learn to really place our confidence in God. And here you just see in David, he's at a time in his life where his trust, his confidence is just pure. You know, he's, he's, And you see this expressed both in a negative direction, but also in a positive. But it begins with this just simple opening prayer for life, or for the Lord to preserve his life. We didn't read this, but the inscription tells us, um, it just says, a a miktam of David. Um, You know, it's interesting, but there are certain words that we just really don't know what they mean or or, uh, how they're being used. Miktam is one of them. But the the key thing here is that this inscription is ascribing the psalm to David. Now, the inscriptions do come somewhat later than after the psalm. So sometimes they're not always, um, you know, uh, sure. But in this case, um, the New Testament uh, refers back to the psalm. And in each case, it refers, and I think it confirms our authorship, by referring to David, that this is um, a psalm of David. Uh, David begins by setting the tone with a simple prayer that God would preserve him. And the psalm continues, it seems, um, not just with a concern for physical survival, although that's certainly part of it, um, but this prayer, of, Lord, preserve me, he's not just saying, you know, maintain my existence. He's saying, preserve me in my relationship with you. Preserve me in the fellowship, in the enjoyment of your presence. This is a psalm where he is, you know, the, um, uh, that old medieval book, Practicing um, the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Um, this is a psalm about practicing the presence of God. And so often in the stress and, and the busyness of life, the to-do lists that never get accomplished, um, we forget to just take time to recognize, to appreciate, to meditate upon God's witness, God's presence in our lives. David tells us um, about how beautiful life in the Lord is. How satisfying life can be when it is, in fact, lived in the Lord. And he tells us a simple key to this life when he just says, for in you I take refuge. In you I take refuge. Such a simple phrase. It's a recurring phrase through many of the psalms. And it's just simply a kind of formula for entrusting one's life to the care of God. He's entrusting his life to the care of God. And the rest of the psalm describes for us, what does this mean to entrust our lives into the hands of God, into the care of God? Well, he tells us in verse two, uh, uh, um, this first thing, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Uh, working through the psalm, it it becomes evident that David has discovered true life and joy. And here he's telling us the source of that life. We want life. You know, in in the time of COVID stress, you you may be wondering where the joy (laughs) can be found. Well, David is telling us. He says the good things, any good thing that we have, that we experience It comes from the hand of the Lord. And right away, he's modeling for us that we ought to ask the Lord for this life, that we ought to seek um, the good things from his hand. This echoes uh, what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter four, when he writes, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, Why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You know, as we approach Thanksgiving, we need to be reminded that the good things in our lives, not only are they from God, but they're they're tokens, they're they're, um, signs of God's love for us. They're signs he's not left us. They're signs that he um, is with us. As we continue to observe David's trust and confidence in the Lord, we see it's marked by another thing, that it's marked by this this kind of pure, exclusive commitment to the Lord. Verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So verse 3 and 4, they um, uh, provide this antithetical kind of parallelism. He's going to talk about the people he delights in. And then he's going to talk about the people that, um, uh, that he stays away from. But the people he delights in, and I think this is key to the joy that he's experiencing in the Lord, well, these are the people who love God. These are the people who God is at work within. These are God's people that he delights in. The saints, he refers to them as, as the excellent ones. You know, again, coming through a stressful period of time. You know, that's a good question for us. A good check, perhaps, in our spirit. Do we delight in the people of God the way David does here? You know, this may be an area where we just need to say, you know, maybe there are, you know, a, a, the, the person in mind that you know I am not delighting in that person. We need, you know, that's that may be a, um, something the Lord is signaling in um, in us, maybe in you. To address as we approach Thanksgiving. Maybe you need to approach a person to say, hey, we, are we okay with each other? Do we need to clear the air? Is there forgiveness needed um, uh, just to restore a relationship? Can I say in my heart, Lord, I delight in your people. And then he, he goes on um, to talk about this in the negative when he renounces all forms of idolatry in verse four. He says the sorrows. Now he's talking about the opposite of the joy that he is feeling in his heart. He says the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. He's saying he knows the temptations. in this case, probably to bow down to real idols. This was, you know, you might refer to this as kind of a hard idolatry versus the soft idolatry that we're often tempted by. And what I mean by soft idolatry is is the temptation to um, create God's substitutes within our hearts, um, things that we treasure over and above God, things that we trust in really for our happiness, things like money or relationships. Or power, or um, pleasures of the world, um, um, or, or it could be most anything that we, that are of the created world that we put in the place of God. And then, in any case, notice what he says about this. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Whenever we do this, whenever we chase after these God substitutes, Whenever we give in to the temptation of the shiny, of the pleasurable, he says, all we're doing is we're going down a dead end every time. These are, you know, wells that promise to be full of life-giving water, but in every case they turn out they're empty. Or maybe there are a few drops, you know, just enough to, to wet your thirst, but then it proves in the end to be unsatisfying. It leads to sorrow. And and again, the sorrow here he's talking about is not the kind of sorrows that we experience in sickness or in times where we lose a loved one. Then it is appropriate for the godly to grieve and to express sorrow. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the kind of sorrow that flows out of idolatry. It's the kind of sorrow that flows out of the guilt that is involved, particularly for people who know better for the people of God. And so he says, their drink offerings, those offerings that are connected to this idolatrous worship, I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. You know, not take their names on my lips. He's not gonna gonna chase after the idolaters. He's not talking about, oh, I'm not gonna do evangelism. He said, I'm not gonna take pleasure in what they take pleasure in. I'm going to be careful not to allow them to to drag me down this road. One of the reasons why we are not experiencing the joy of the Lord is because there are idols within our own hearts. And as we approach Thanksgiving, we should ask ourselves, Lord, is there some sin that I secretly cherish? Is there some treasure that I have hidden in my tent Borrowing from the analogy of Achan, who hid um, uh, forbidden treasures from Jericho in his tent. And it led to great heartbreak and sorrow. As we are gathered in the presence of God, ask yourself, Lord, are there idols I need to come clean with, that I need to renounce and repent of? Well, David moves now to the positive his joy and thankfulness rise to the surface as we see a faith that joyfully treasures God above all else. You can see his movements here. One, the people I delight in, in contrast to the people who are, are falling into idolatry. And now the opposite of idolatry is making God our treasure. He's, and, and, and this just seems to kind of flow naturally. I mean, the Spirit is just at work in David as he is writing these words. And, and now he's coming to the, the treasuring of God. In verses 5 and 6, David uses the imagery of the Israelites receiving an allotment of land in the good and prosperous land of Canaan following the conquest of Joshua. Joshua. And he uses this imagery not so much to talk about his delight in a piece of property, although I think that's included in what he says here, but he uses this imagery of going into a prosperous land, a land flowing with milk and honey, an inheritance that will flow not only to him but to his children and to their children. This lasting blessing, probably the greatest blessing, the inheritance that he could think of. And he says, Lord, that's what you really are. All those things are just a shadow of what you are to me. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Whether it's the cup that overflows, we remember that from uh, Psalm 23. The the lot, that's how they were given the portions of land um, that served as an inheritance um, he, you see the language, the imagery that he's using here, but he's not applying it again to the line. He's saying, Lord, you're that chosen portion. In you, is I delight walking in your presence. I love to sing songs of praise and, and the hymns of worship. I love to be reminded of the glorious truths and the promises and the blessings that I have in you and only in you. There are no idols can provide what you provide, O oh Lord. When we think about spiritual blessings, this is at the heart of our biblical faith. And, and just as a reminder, when we think of, okay, Christian faith, the temptation sometimes is to think of Christian faith in terms of rules, to think of it in terms of, you know, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not, or you must do this or, and not do that. And we begin to think, okay, there are all these rules I have to follow. And if I can check off those rules, then, then I'm practicing the Christian faith. What David is showing us here, that there's something inside of the rules. There there are rules. I'm not going to back away. There are commandments that the Lord expects us to obey. But that's not the heart of the Christian faith. The heart is this relationship with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we are invited to come in, to abide within, to enjoy it's a relationship that goes with us wherever we go. And it's a relationship that then flows into our lives with blessings, even in times of COVID in election cycles in you know, changes of administration and um, uh, the, the societal difficulties and challenges that we face. Even within all of those challenges, he's describing something that we all have access to. This relationship with the Lord. And again, it is a covenant relationship. That means it is bounded by, you know, the, the, the instructions that receive in the law of God, to be sure. But at the heart is this relationship. And, and it isn't just the, the, the very presence of God that brings meaning, that brings forgiveness, that brings peace to our hearts, but there are the blessings of provision. Often very tangible blessings that flow out of God's um, uh, love, out of the, of abiding within His presence. Look at verse six. I have set the Lord always before me. He's talking about that beautiful fellowship He enjoys. Um, indeed. I have a beautiful, um, uh, let me go back. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Well, that's speaking just to all that's involved in this Christian walk with the Lord. And all the answers to prayer, all of the blessings that he bestows, You know, it's about this time of the year. I I like to do this practice. I've I've described it on other occasions, but I like to just take a blank sheet of paper, and and I divide it into four quadrants, and then I just headline each quadrant with the, the first one being spiritual blessings, the next one being material blessings, and then there are relationships, relational blessings, and achievements, and then I just have other blessings, just as kind of a catch-all, you know. And other spiritual blessings, I'm thinking about just the blessings that all of us enjoy in Christ. I'm thinking about the love of God. I'm thinking about the forgiveness of sins, about being adopted, not just as a slave, but as a son within the royal family. I'm thinking about um, the, the, the gifts that he's given to us of of the Word of God, of being granted the Spirit of God to indwell us, the church, worship, baptism, the bread and the cup, all of these blessings, you know, and you could just keep going on and on under spiritual blessings. Under material blessings, well, that's easier, right? You know, you think of a starry night. I, I think of... You know, animals. I, I often walk dogs under at night in the darkness because I don't want the neighbors to see my dogs. But anyway, but it's one of these blessings where you see like this, the clear stars in the sky and it just causes your heart to, 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 to enjoy the greatness and the beauty and the majesty of God. You know, the sunrise, the birds that sing. I was reminded this week, I was on a call with Jerry Kirk, and, and, and he, used to, he was so fond of saying, whenever I see a cardinal, it reminds me of the love of God. God's creation. Or, or just, the, you know, financial blessings, of course. A home and, and hearth and clothing. Not just basic needs, but but books. <laughs> How good is the Lord to provide us with books? And in this day and age, we have access through the library system of almost any book we need and through the internet. This is a wonderful time to to be grateful to the Lord for his many blessings. Under relationships and achievements, you think of family and friends and co-workers and neighbors and, and fellow church members. Or think of the people who've just encouraged you people who've wrote, written you notes of encouragement or just stop by to see how you were doing or parents or Sunday school teachers or even, again, I'm thinking of authors who have encouraged me. I don't even know them, but they've just encouraged me by what they have shared in writing. Be thankful for those relationships, for the achievements through the year. And then under, under other blessings, you know, I mean, that could just be thinking, of God, of the, the freedoms in our nation that we enjoy. Free, we take for granted the freedom to gather together in person for worship. To, th- to consider just, again, the experiences sometimes that don't fit under other, you know. I'm thankful for being able to watch championship sports games. I know it's, it's not the highest thing, but I enjoy those sorts of things. I put those under other blessings. And, and I guarantee as you work through Those kind of different blessings, you you can't help but just to say, wow, Lord, you've been better to me than I really knew or I understood. Lord, you really do love me. Thank you for your many blessings. David continues to go and he describes the the blessing of God's counsel and instruction. Verse 7. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. Now he's saying, Lord, you've not left us in the darkness. You've shown us which way is up. You've shown us which way is down. You've revealed to us truths about who you are, how I can find meaning and purpose in life. I understand why you made me. To bring you glory. I understand why you sent Christ and my need uh, to have my own sins forgiven. I understand, sadly, that the problems of the world, the blame for that is not out there. (laughs) The blame for that runs through my heart, through every human heart. I don't like that, but Lord, you've revealed this to me. And I thank you, Lord, for the wisdom that you reveal on a daily basis. And so, what he says is, I bless you. That's another way of saying what this then flows into is worship, it flows into praise. Part of the line, one of the lines I love in the prayer covenant enable me, O Lord, to praise you with all my heart. Well, as we learn to practice um, gratitude, as we practice thankfulness and thankful hearts, it, it enriches our praise. It leads to worship, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week, every day. And then in this last section of the psalm, David describes something else that makes his heart glad. It's that he no longer has to fear death. Now think about what he's saying. I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing. Faith, thanksgiving, breeds confidence in the face of death. Look at verses 9 and 10. Therefore, David writes, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. And then comes this verse that Old Testament scholars don't know what to do with. The New Testament does know what to do with this. Here it is. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, Or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, why do I say Old Testament scholars don't really know what to do with this? Well, because what David's saying is, you will not abandon my life to the grave. You you won't allow my body um, to see corruption. You you won't allow me to decay. What does he mean by this? Because at some point, the psalmist is going to come up against death and his body is going to go into the grave. It's going to be placed in a tomb. And so I think that the general opinion on this is is that David, when he prays at the very beginning, preserve my life, that in some sense, he's saying, even in death, Lord, do not allow my soul to remain with the wicked. In some sense, Lord, even in death, Lord, continue to, to be with me. Allow me to experience your presence forevermore, even post-death. But this idea of not letting my, my body see corruption or, or, um, or see decay, um, you know, it's not exactly, you know, it's an interesting imagery. And maybe what he means is, Lord, even in death somehow, be with me. But the New Testament takes this verse, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, both Peter And the Apostle Paul refer back to this passage with great interest. Let me look at uh, what the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 13, verses 35 and following. There the Apostle writes, therefore, he says also in another Psalm, he's referring to David, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. He's quoting Psalm 16, verse 10. And then here's the apostles' inspired interpretation. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, that is, he died, and he was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. That is, his body decayed just like every other human person. But he continues, but he, referring to Jesus, whom God raised up, did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything. What the apostle is saying is David, under, in the filled with the Spirit, wrote better than he knew. He wrote about things he probably did not understand. But in fact, he was pointing to his descendant, a greater king, who when he died, in fact, his body would not see corruption. It would not decay because that man, that king would be raised from the dead. And the apostle says, this is Jesus whom David was referring to. And the resurrection, resurrection, Points to, it confirms that his death was received by God as an atonement for sins, so that now the apostle can proclaim the free forgiveness of sins found through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, we like David in the face of death, we have much greater foundation to proclaim what David says in Psalm 16 He will not let us see corruption. Because as in Jesus, he will one day raise us from the dead and we will enjoy, um, immediately we'll go into the presence of the Lord, but one day our bodies will be remade and renewed and we will enjoy a resurrected life in a new heaven and on a new earth. But of course, this all comes by faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and only in Christ will we find the forgiveness of sins? And so this just leads to David's glorious summation in verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. You know, given his psalm, this is such a beautiful statement. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Would you bow your heads with me? Our God and our Father, we thank you for this glorious word of of trust, of thanksgiving, of joy and praise and worship that we find uh, from David. And Lord, we do look forward one day being able to, to meet with David, to even ask him questions about things that he wrote and what he understood or didn't understand. And we thank you, Lord, for the confidence that we have of this future meeting because of what Jesus has accomplished for us through his death and resurrection. Grant us, Lord, grateful hearts, and we give you all glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.